Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday on The Athletic Podcast Network. It is another edition of Hoops Adjacent on The Athletic MBA Show. I'm David Aldridge here in D.C. in the Bay, Marcus Thompson. What is up, man? Yo, it's town biz out here. We're in the sunny California DA. Should I tell you how great the weather is? No, please like, don't. Because I'll, I'll It's a beautiful you. mix of breeze and sun. I like we so in the much. streets. You know, we we're we're posted up at the lake. You barbecue, you know, like yo. Well, wait, you can't barbecue because Becky will call the cops on you. Right? Hey, Becky Ben got shut down. That's all we do now is barbecue. She just started something. Just defying Becky, right? In, in defiance of Becky, this is what we do. We post about the lake. It is beautiful Damn. in California. Damn. Well, you you are joined in the in Cali by the Cali native, the Crenshaw High School graduate, the five time NBA All Star. Our guest this week, the Bucks. Uh, TV analyst Marcus Johnson. Marcus, man, it is so good to have you. Thank you for joining us. You in L.A.? Uh, uh, yes, I am. Editor-in-chief. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? That's all I've been reading about, man. You big, big time. I need that, I need that, H, I need that HNIC <laughs> hat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, man. That's the one to get. You got it, too. You know what I'm saying? So. <laughs> Congratulations, brother. You are well-deserved. Thank you, and, man. Uh, yes, I, yes, I am in, in L.A. Man, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing, man. I'm never going to argue with it because um, so, the weather's so nice out there, man. I can't argue with it. You know, like... Yeah. <laughs> That's why people yeah. like to live in LA. Yeah. I get it. I get it. So, well, well, and, and quick, and so they, so we just do the first round of the playoffs, and our final game was when Saturday against Miami. I had my reservations made for like five <laughs> p.m. Saturday afternoon. You were messing around. You know, everybody's like, "Man, that's bad. That's superstitious, man. That's bad karma." I was like, "No, man. I'm, I'm you know, hey, look, if I got to change it, I'll change it. But if we win." I want to get out of here, get back to I, some sunshine. It was raining. It was about 45 degrees, and, and, you know, at, at the end of May in Milwaukee, and yeah. I was ready to get up and get on, man. So it worked out beautifully. That's, that's the OG move right there. That's smart. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it. You know, because it always happens where, you know, something will happen like that. Then I got to scramble at the last minute to get right. a flight reservation. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, a big yeah. scramble. I was like, let me go ahead and just, you know, if we lose, I'll just – you know, I'll, I'll just go ahead and make make the make the adjustment for whenever Wednesday of the next week. But hey, we won and everything worked out beautifully. So, man, yeah. I want to ask you real quick before we get into the like the whole playoffs and the Bucks and everything and all that you've been doing. Um, so that was that was your last game with Jim Paskey, who's the legendary play by play guy with the Bucks, right? Man, in thirty five years, he's uh, been doing Bucks basketball and. Uh, that was it. That was the last game of his Bucks broadcasting career. And we had a great time over this six year run, D.A., and uh, just uh, knowledgeable as uh, as anybody, you know, in, in his role as a play by play guy. And our best conversations were really, you know, off air, you know, just the stuff we talk about. He's 69. Yeah. I'm 65. So similar point point references in terms of what we went through in the 60s and the 70s and all that good stuff. So uh, I'm going to miss him, man, and uh, true professional and one of the best in the game in terms of 
of what he does. So yeah, that's that was his last game. And that's that's quite a career. Quite a career. Yes, yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, so, and and you know it, it, it's funny. Um, it was said to me and Kevin Calabro uh, years ago about how a local gig um, is 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 sometimes better than a sporadic national gig. Now, if you got a great solid national gig, it's one thing, but that good local gig is something to to be coveted. And Jim Paskey. Uh, he definitely proved that. And, uh, you know, I, I've learned that over the years. I've had my flirtations on the national level. But, yeah. and you you know, you get you a good, solid, good, solid uh, local gig like that. Um, you know, it, it's just worth its weight in gold. And so those things are great to come about. And Jim Paschke is one of those local legends in Wisconsin that Wisconsin's had some great broadcasters uh, uh, through the years. And he, he goes on that list of uh, just, just, legendary kind of Wisconsin broadcasters. Man, I, Man there, I, no, go ahead, Marcus. There's something like, so, you know, as a, as a dude, like, you know, loyal to the Bay and like, you know, got roots here. There's something just special about that. Like when, when you can, you can just plant yourself and yeah. be comfortable. You ain't chasing, you know, you're not like out here trying to, the grass ain't always greener. You can really invest it. There's just something really right. special about that. For me, that's foundational to sports is yeah. local and, and, anyway, right? And so, Marcus, for me, growing up in L.A., so check this out. So I'm, you know, I'm a kid of the 60s here. So I grew up with Vince Scully doing yep. the Dodgers, Chick Hearn, you know, doing the uh, doing the Lakers. Uh, uh, Dick Enberg was the UCLA guy uh, in the late 60s, early 70s when I first got there. When Dick moved up to the national level, Al Michaels took over as the UCLA guy for a year or two, wow. you know, so, but just being able to have that kind of exposure to that level of local broadcasting. But the point, the bigger point being, and, and you know, this too, both you guys, I mean, you, you grew up with these guys. And so Jim Paschke has that kind of following of people, Steve Novak, who does, uh, our, does our games as, as a color analyst alongside myself. He talked about you listening to Jim since he's five, six, seven years old. You know what yeah, I mean? So you sure. think about that. And that context, you grew up with these people, the familiarity, they become like family. Um, you know, you go through their ups and downs, the team's ups and downs, and it becomes a whole thing, man. That's a, a whole connection that I don't think people understand just how how deep that thing cuts. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it is special. No, no question, man. I mean, you mentioned Calabro. I always – and I've known Kevin for a long time, but I always I always connect Kevin to the Supersonics. You know what I mean? Like right. like the, talking about the Rain Man and talking about uh, Peyton and, and same right. thing with – with, with, um, Kevin Harlan, who's been great on TNT for years, but I still think of him as the Wolves, Timberwolves guy, yeah. you know, with KG back in the day. So yeah, the local the, thing, man. Yeah, it has the big, a lot. The big ticket, the big ticket. Exactly, the exactly, and, right. And the right. glove, and all. yeah, no, it's it's. And I and I had the good fortune of working with Kevin Calabro during the mid '90s when the Sonics were really good with George Pearl, the Bulls, yeah. and the Finals, and. 96 or whenever that was, uh, Michael Jordan's championship, Father's Day, hugging the hugging the trophy. So during that string, I mean, it was just incredible. And people still will uh, recall fondly. I just had a request today to do a, a local radio show up in Seattle because um, the, the, the Thursday is the 
25th anniversary of the, the game seven against Utah. So they oh, want to do a whole wow. show, you know, in Seattle. It's 25 that, years. That, that, is that right? Yeah, oh my yeah, God. I was at that game. Jesus. <laughs> Oh my that God. is crazy. Wow. But yeah, so it's all good. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. 25 yeah. years. Where did the time go? It seems like that was yesterday. Yep. Oh man, I had so much fun in Seattle. That's a whole show in and of itself, man. Let's talk let's talk about the Bucks though, man. They they took care of business with the sweep of uh Miami got you home quickly, you know. Um <laughs> and the defense, man, like they they, the defensive rating is insane. It was 95 per game, which is like, that sounds like something from 1986. You know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. and, you know, as a, as a result, they were able to just kind of dominate that series. What, what was the biggest takeaway from you from those four games with them? Well, there was quite a bit, uh, but I guess the biggest was the importance of playing your best player on your opponent's best player. You're, you yeah. got the defensive player of the year in Giannis and Dedekumpo. Last year, I'm not sure if he guarded Jimmy Butler more than five possessions in that five-game right. loss to the Heat down in the bubble. And, and, and give Coach Budenholzer some credit in terms of growth and learning and stretching um, You know his philosophy. He, he went by this corporate knowledge kind of philosophy where you, know, you don't change things unless there's some drastic need to. And you can see say that the Bucks in the last couple of playoffs against Toronto two years ago, Miami last year, I mean, was, was the call for some drastic changes, but, but he really made a, made an effort this year to kind of change his whole approach defensively. And for us, for the Bucks, I say us, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the organization, but, I but, but I know it's a, I know it's a broadcasting no, no, but, uh, but, 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 but for us, for the Bucks, it was putting Giannis on Jimmy Butler and you look at Butler's numbers, um, you know, he didn't average as many points, I think 15 or just under 15, as Bryn Forbes did for us. His shooting percentages were way down. He, he worked and struggled for everything he got. And a lot of that was just, you know, Giannis is so good in terms of weak side off ball rim protection. But even against Butler on ball, when Butler would get by him, Butler had this awareness of Giannis's presence trailing him. And it impacted everything he did. And I just think Jimmy Butler never got comfortable. He killed us last year. He averaged almost 24 a game and just, just diced us up 40 points in game one last year to set the tone. It was a totally different story this year. And I think it starts it starts with Giannis on Butler. But then, you know, Brooke Lopez, he, he'd been uh, criticized and knocked around publicly in the media because of his inability at times to um, contain smaller players chris paul devin booker come come to mind in particular down in phoenix when they uh, gave him a lot of trouble but they give everybody every big man on a switch like that trouble yeah but brooks brooks focus and his footwork and everything that he did defensively uh was just on a whole nother level and was a problem with his with his size overwhelming um uh, the heat when they would start bam on Giannis. now he's matched up against trevor ariza and he just overwhelmed them with his size. So it was a lot of good things defensively, man. But uh, I think it started. It starts with Giannis, and and then you always got to throw Drew Holiday in the mix because of his. Ten- it was overall yeah. tenacity. Let me just put it that way. You know, between PJ Tucker, Drew Holiday, the tenacity of this team has increased exponentially since last year. And in the playoffs, as you guys well know, that becomes really, really important. 
Yeah, I was I was going to ask you about that because one of the things that also stood out was, you know, Tyler Hero didn't get off. Duncan Robinson didn't get off. And this this team that kind of lived by knocking down threes, they had a hand in their face every time. And it felt like Drew was the spearhead of that. But the perimeter defense felt like it was like, yo, it's game time. They yeah. they were slapping the floor. They they had the, the, the shorts hiked up. Like it felt like they were ready. Did, did you get that same vibe? Well, see that when you said that, you know, I go back to my DC imagery of Georgetown with Gene Smith and Michael Jackson as the two guards. <laughs> you talk about you talk about slap. Gene Smith was the fourth slap of his brother I ever seen in my life. <laughs> you know, his name kind of gets lost, you know, in it the sure annals of kind of great. Great defensive player, but you know what I'm talking about, dude. That yes, dude, sir. he would, he would, he would get down and just, and, and, and so that's correct, Marcus, in terms of the the mindset. And I really believe that the addition of PJ Tucker in March to this team, not only as a great communicator, defensively calling out whatever's schemes and switches, but just getting into the heads of these guys on the sideline. And he's always talking. And Pat Connaughton talked about that in one of our uh, uh, media availability sessions about how he's always in his ear on situations and what what should be done here, what should be done there. And also Pat Connaughton talked about like, watching P.J. defend bigger players in the post and how he gets down low and how he puts that forearm in their back and he doesn't give up position and how you see P.J. do it and it challenges you as a defensive player to do the same thing. So Pat Connaughton played this kind of defense against Jeff Green the last uh, two games against Brooklyn of, of the regular season. He got down and played as physically and, and as aggressively in the post as I, I've, I've ever seen him. And he says that that was the direct uh, correlation to being around P.J. Tucker. So, um, you know, it, it just uh, not enough can be said about that kind of mindset. And then you talked about Duncan Robinson. He burned us. I mean, Eric Spolster, one of my favorites, he went at Chris Middleton guarding Duncan Robinson in game one. Duncan finished, I think, with 25, seven threes. He was killing Chris. Chris made the adjustments. And the biggest adjustment was just exerting more energy, fighting through screens and, 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 and being a little cuter in terms of, you know, uh, keeping it, locking him in from going one direction, forcing him out one, uh, one, one particular direction to cut down his options. But, but again, energy, energy exertion. And, and making sure you're contesting everything and you're right in the guy's face and, and making the guy aware of you every time he comes around the screen. You're right there trailing in his tracks, attached to him. And uh, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. And after game one, that kind of changed everything around. And you didn't hear you didn't hear nary a peep out of Duncan Robinson or pretty much Tyler Hero the rest of that series. Man, see, this is uh, I've been talking about this really for a few weeks now, Marcus. Is that I believe that the Bucks, because of Giroux and PJ. Oh yes, he has. I Trust have, me on I'm this. Documented oh, now. Man. I'm not just saying this. Okay. <laughs> I think they are the one team that is built to beat Brooklyn in the playoffs because yeah. because they can slap PJ on Harden. They can put Giroux on Kyrie Irving. They can put Giannis on KD. And as I continually say, I'm not saying they're going to stop those guys, but I'm saying those three can make those dudes work better than any other three that anybody else has in the league. Yeah. And the one thing you look at when you look at, you know, advanced analytics and and I'm all about kind of, you know, what's going on out of the court situationally, but both Harden and KD are, are more turnover prone than what you would imagine, especially KD. You're looking at his numbers. And the other point, PJ Tucker, uh, our analytics department provided us with the, with the breakdown on him. He's actually guarded both KD and 
LeBron in terms of their mm. effective field goal percentage when he's matched up against them. He's the best in the league over the last three years with a certain amount of possessions of defending both those guys. Now, as you oh, yeah, P.J. Not, Tucker gives KD problems. Like, yeah, you know, I remember and, that you know, in the finals. Not, yep, yep. Yeah, you're not going to stop him, but you're going to make him work. You're going to try and get in their head a little bit. And instead of him, this is my thing, instead of KD on a day where he may go off for 45, you hold him to 33. You know what I'm saying? Right, I mean, so you exactly. look at 30, yes, you look, you look yes. at 33 and you're like, oh, he lit him up. Well, no, nah, that was a day against anybody else. He's going to get 45, maybe 50. Right. But right. you're holding him to 30. You know, you're doing a really great defensive job that doesn't, doesn't appear to be great on paper. But P.J. Tucker is that kind of a guy. Yeah, no, I, exactly. And that's why I just think – and that allows Middleton to kind of roam around. You could put him on Harris. You know what I mean? Like you can yeah. do different things with him. And it just gives you more options. So I just think feel like Milwaukee's going to, and I'm assuming Brooklyn's going to win that series, that it's going to be a hell of a series. But the issue for Milwaukee and for Brooklyn to me is that they got to play each other. <laughs> Whereas Philly, yeah. you know, Philly, uh, you know, they'll one way or another end the series with Washington pretty quick. And then, you know, they'll probably get Atlanta second round. And all due respect to Atlanta, I think. Don't you start dissing Trey Young, D.A., no, come no, on. No, I'm not dissing him. I just, <laughs> come on. I just think Philly, Philly got that length, man. They're just long yeah. as hell. Um, I think they get to the conference finals a little easier than either Milwaukee or Brooklyn can get to the conference finals. Yeah, no, without question. And I mean, I will give Nate McMillan, talk about old Sonics, um, the job that he has done, yep. the way he's got these guys playing. And uh, the, this Hunter kid, RJ Hunter, uh, Hunter from Virginia. Yeah. He, yeah. he is, I mean, you know, he gives them another lengthy shooter athlete that, that, this makes them a little bit more problematic, but I agree with you. Just in terms of what Philly can trot out there with Doc Rivers' experience in terms of getting those types of teams ready to play, uh, if Embiid is healthy, and that's, a, you know, I guess yep. he, when he came out of the game the other night, right. if he's healthy, it's going to be tough tough for the Hawks to, uh, to contend with him. But uh, on the other side, I mean, look, you know, it's obviously it's going to be a major monumental task to beat Brooklyn, but I like our coaching advantage. You know, Steve Nash, even though he's got some great assistance, you know, in his ear on the bench, but, but, you know, just coming out with, with, with enough of a, of a, of a, of, a, of wrinkles defensively to throw at them where, um, you know, you get them out of rhythm and, and, you know, maybe steal a game or two early or whatever, you know, how these things go, but it's just going to be, I think a great, great series just in terms of, uh, kind of the X's and O's and schemes and all that. But the bottom line is you got, you got to deal with these three no, Hall of Fame crazy, level, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and, and Joe Harris. You and know Joe Harris, and, right. And, and, Blake, and Blake Griffin, who is still, right, right. Blake is still serviceable. He can still, yeah, sure. he can hurt you in, 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 you know, sporadic kind of minor situations. So it's going to be, it's going to be a test, man. It'll be the ultimate test. But if we can get by, we can get by Brooklyn. Um, you know, it's, it's, the sky's going to be the limit because it will be filled with so much confidence going into you know finals against the Sixers. So anyway, but getting by Brooklyn is going to be going to be tough. Of course, you know you know this feeling, this exact feeling the Bucks will be going through, right? Because what was it? What, what was it, 82, 83, maybe eighty four? Uh, playing them Celtics, <laughs> felt like they had fifty nine. The Sixers, right? <laughs> all the above. And, all, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and so. I forget the year, maybe 83. I forget exactly the year, but but three teams won 60 games. The Celtics won 62. Philly won 62. We won 60. 
Uh, yeah, and we and we were really even with the Sixers until they signed Moses Malone. And that just <laughs> that seems that, unfair. <laughs> you know, that just threw off everything, yeah. and uh, it was embarrassing in terms of just how how good they were once they picked up Moses Malone. But we were we played up to a seventh game in a conference finals or semi a year or two prior to that, and then kind of battled them really, really closely. Uh, the, the the Celtics caught them that one year when we swept them, and then um, they came back the next year and, and, and kind of dominated over the next four or five years in the mid mid to late 80s before the Pistons kind of kind of got going. But, yeah, I mean, you know, we we were always looking. And so, so it was a feeling at the time of just ad, abject failure, not getting to the finals, because I just, I just knew in my heart of hearts, the deepest in my soul, that we would get to the finals and have a chance to compete for a championship. And to not do it, you just felt this feeling of failure. But then you, you know, you had the the, the benefit of hindsight. You look back on these Celtic teams and and all the Hall of Famers on their front line, plus DJ and all the Hall of Famers coming out of Philly, plus Mo Cheeks in the backcourt, Doc and Bobby Jones and Moses. You know that whole Carwell Jones, one of the most underrated defenders in the history of the league, who I had to go against. You know, at the at the, at the uh, defensive end of the floor, him and Bobby Jones, and I had to guard Doc at the offensive end. So. It was like working overtime. So, you know, it's, it's nothing to – looking back on it, my point is it's nothing to hang your head about. I mean, you lost to some great teams, and that's just kind of how it is. No question. And I always I always use those Bucks teams as kind of the template for what, you know, smaller market teams should uh, should should aspire to be. You know what I mean? Like like right. the Bucks teams – and, and I, I can't remember. I know I looked this up at one point. But those teams during that decade of the 80s, I think that y'all won the second most games in the league for the whole decade. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it was always a 50 win team. It was never, you know, y'all never really dropped off all that much. And, and I've just, I tell people all the time, you just don't know how good they were, how good that Milwaukee team was. Like they were really good, you know? So um, it was, it, it, it's unfortunate that you couldn't break through, but it's, but it's explainable. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, and here's the other thing, Marcus, I went back and looked, I have this idea and maybe it's cause I was, I was a kid back then, but I always thought of you as this kind of six, eight, six, nine power forward living at the elbows, making jumpers, man, you were handling the ball a lot. You had the rock in your hands a lot. You were a playmaker as well as yeah. a scorer. From Cali, that's why. That's how we do it. I, I, got, you, the I rock, got you. I got you. Let's go. <laughs> man, yeah, I mean, you had, you had the, obviously the complete game, but um, how did that come about when you got to Milwaukee? You know, when you have other great players on that team, uh, Ricky Pierce and some other guys that were really, really good scorers. How did the ball, and Moncrief and all those guys, how did the ball wind up in your hands so much? Well, well, here's the deal is that well, and Ricky Pierce, we never played together. He was actually involved in the trade when, when I went to oh, the Clippers. Okay, okay, so Pierce, gotcha. Craig Hodges, Terry Cummings came to the Bucks. Me and Junior Bridgman, Harvey Ketchings went to the Clippers. So we never crossed paths. So, so, and, he, and he's a great, great player, especially that just – but we had a guy in Junior Bridgman who was similar just in terms of instant offense coming off the bench. But we played against the Nets. And Nelly would allow me to have a lot of freedom handling the basketball. But we played against the Nets around 84, I believe, in the playoffs. And they had Michael Ray Richardson. They had a great defensive guard uh, by the name of Darwin Cook, sure. also yep. Crenshaw, Crenshaw High School. Uh, and, so the, and we had a lot of point guard injuries. I think Tiny Archibald had, had retired early and some other guys had gotten hurt. 
So it was Mike Dunleavy Sr. trying yep. to bring the ball up against Michael Ray Richardson and Darwin Cook. <laughs> that didn't end well. They, <laughs> like uh, they, they were spinning him around right and left. And, and so, so before we lost game one, I believe. And so we went back to New Jersey, uh, I think one tied one all. And so before game three, Nelly uh, at morning shoot around said to me that he wanted me to initiate the offense. So every play, if it's a, if it's a high post UCLA cut, I'd bring the ball up the court against Buck Williams or Al, Albert King, dribble to the wing, hit the high post, Sydney would cut off. So every play we designed for me to bring the ball up the floor. So after we walked through that, this is a true story, I said to Nelly, so instead of a point guard, I'm like a point forward. So he was like, oh, yeah, point forward. I like that. Yeah, yeah, you're my point forward. Oh my so God. I was the first guy to utter that phrase. Oh, no, you created that word. I was the guy to first guy to utter that phrase. And so I, so in that series, if you, there's some old footage I came across on YouTube. You know, you can see me handling the ball. We got Paul Pressey on the floor at times, but I'm yeah. still the guy bringing the ball to the floor. I got traded after that season. Paul Pressey was put into that position, and that's where you know he got kind of stuck with the with the point forward deal. But but I always tell people Paul Paul was one of the greatest point guards in Missouri Valley Conference history at Tulsa. So the leap from for him to play you know to be a, a great point guard in college to be a point forward was not quite the same as my leap as just right? a forward all my life. Oh my but the other thing, DA, you talk about six eight six nine. I mean, I'm like six. Six six, you That's know. I'm, I listen, I'm, six seven. I, just, I have six nine in my head for you. I don't know why. It's crazy. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I, I played. Cause I, you know, I was, re, you know, I was a, a good rebounder for my size. Yeah, not 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 on the Barkley kind of level, but my rookie year, I averaged like almost twenty and ten. Um, and then uh, it's funny after I averaged ten rebounds a game my rookie year. <laughs> a couple of my teammates, Junior Bridgman, Brian Winters, are like, man, you don't need to average 10 rebounds. You need you need to give them about seven or eight rebounds a game, the way you're playing right now, and that'll be enough. And you know, you're going to wear yourself like thin trying to yeah. average 10 rebounds a game. And, so, you know, Junior Bridgman, how, how could you not take his advice as wise as he is? And I kind of scale that back. But anyway, but yeah, so so that's that's how the uh, the ball handling and the point forward stuff kind of came about. And uh, But yeah, it was... Uh, he was the first Don Nelson back in those days to really kind of approach the game in that positionless basketball right. type of mindset. And so I would play the five. I would play the five and guard Daryl Dawkins. I remember specifically <laughs> situations guarding Dawkins, guarding centers inside. We wouldn't do it for any great length of time, but for five-minute spurts just to change the, the dynamic of the game, we'd go real small and just push and rebound and shoot and you know run teams ragged. So – uh, it was it was a fun brand of basketball to play. You know what's what, what's interesting. You 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 have an interesting perspective on this as a as the first ever point forward and a, and a guy who kind of played both ways. We're we're watching this kind of clash of styles, especially like Bucks and Nets. Right? It's like this perimeter orientation, or you know, is the return of the big man. And even in this series. You know, the Buck series, Brooke was down low, man. It was like, Brooke was like, all right, you, you guys a yeah. little, let me get down in there. I know this is DA's thing, right? Like, you, he's huge. Get let down Brooke there. be a center. Where, where, <laughs> where do you fall in this? Uh, as as one who's kind of in the middle, uh, I, I guess we'll see it as it plays out. You got the three guys on the perimeter of Brooklyn, or the counter to that is the Joel Embiid's, is the Milwaukee, is the team that could punish him inside. Where, where do you kind of fall in, I guess, the better way to play? Well, and well, first, let me correct some. I mean, I, I, I wasn't the first point forward. If you look at some old footage, Mo, Maurice Stokes, 
Uh, Rick Barry wow. in the in the yeah. seventy five championship series, he's averaging seven assists. Uh, Robert Reed in the early eighties for Houston under Dell Harris played the position when they had Alan so. Lovell and yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and 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 the Mike Newton Mike, and these Mike, great Mike shooters. Yeah, yeah, Calvin yeah. Murphy, yeah. you know, coming off of screens. It was Robert Reed, Johnny Johnson we, uh, for Lenny Wilkins. We, but but I was the first one to coin that phrase. So that's 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 the only thing I claim. Yeah. There were other forwards that no, there were other there, there were other. No, Rick Barry was nice too. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they better ball handlers, better passers, all that. I don't claim to be the you know the 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 the, 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 the template or the consummate point forward. But but I was just the first one to utter that phrase. It's my only claim to fame. That's you. number one. Number two, your point about Brooke Lopez. It's funny when he came to us. Uh, three years ago, Budenholzer's first year, that's when he, and I forget the other shooting big man, but, but there were two of them that led the league in the number of attempts from deep threes. And those are three pointers, like 25 to 29 feet. And so he led the league in, uh, in terms of bigs, in terms of shooting percentage and, and attempts for deep threes. Now his game is starting to slowly get closer to the basket. Um, his post-ups in terms of post-up percentage, I forget the number, but he's posting up a lot more last year. I think 17% of his possessions last year were post-ups. This year it's down to about 12 or 13%. Mm, but okay. he is so good, guys, at this, these, these I call them these unconventional uh, uh, shot put, push shots in the key, uh, the, the one-legged fadeaways, uh, I mean, just these really, and this this is by design. He and shooting coach Ben Sullivan, Ben, ben Sullivan will actually kick him like a soccer like a soccer style kick. He'll kick the ball. He'll kick past the brook, which means Brook has got to catch the ball at all kinds of weird, crazy angles, yeah. and then just turn and immediately find the basket and shoot, square up and shoot. And I've been watching him do this for three years, and now I think we're starting to see. Kind of some of the some of the shots that he's making is a bit is a, is a direct result of that. But I believe that when you've got a guy like Brook Lopez, especially in to answer your question, Marcus, especially in the playoffs, especially when the possessions are, are, are you know get get more limited, um, scoring moving the scoreboard becomes more of a premium. You got a guy like Brook who can overpower smaller defenders, who can out finesse bigger guys down in the low box. You got to use that. And that's one thing that Coach Boonholzer has understood these last couple of years. This year, more than ever, and, and, and against Miami, Brooke was just, uh, you know, he was a monster down there because he's seven feet 280 and really skilled, great hands, great touch. You got to find a way to use that. And so I think that's one of the things that uh, has helped improve this offense is that we're no longer just spotting him up for deep threes. Now take advantage of you know his God-given attributes, which is his size and his skill, and use that to your benefit. So if you got a guy like that, you got to use it. That, that's that, that, that's the bottom line. You got a guy like that, you got to find a way to get him some mismatches, some switches, some isos down there, and let him take advantage of those skills. One of the other things um, that Bootenholzer has done, and a lot of people have talked about this, is that he's got a guy at the dunker spot now. I know that's been a big part of, of how the, the offense has kind of evolved a little bit. Yeah. How is that creating, you know, better shots, not just for Giannis, but, you know, better open threes for Forbes and for Giroux and for the other guys? So before this season, last year was five out. It was like Giannis right. with the basketball. You had four quadrants to it, two at each break line and two in the corner. 
you had those spots filled at all times. So now defenses, especially in transition, but even half court, <clears throat> they're able to load up along the free throw line. So Giannis is seeing this wall, right? And that wall, Toronto, Nick Nurse did a great job kind of kind of getting things started a couple of years ago. That's a tough, tough nut to crack for any, I don't care how skilled you are. If you don't have a reliable three-point shot, which Giannis doesn't, they're just waiting for you. So now with the dunker, the first guy down, and normally it just depends on who it is. Sometimes it's Brooks. Sometimes it's a smaller player. Sometimes it's Drew, Drew Holiday. Right. But you, you're taking a defender away from the wall. You're dismantling the wall. You, 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 you're changing the, 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 the geometric shape of that wall out top. And with Giannis, now instead of three guys he has to beat, it's two guys. And that sounds like probably, you know, that, that could be problematic also. But trust me, with his skill level, his quickness, his ball handling ability, his elasticity at his size, he could do that relatively easy. Beat two guys up top. Three guys, it's a little bit tougher. Yeah. And the other point about the dunker, but these and Giannis didn't like the dunker initially. He's like, he's like I, you know, I'm, I haven't gotten used to playing with it. It's just tough to make this adjustment after playing five out. Now he loves the dunker because, first of all, it dismantles the wall, takes a brick out of the wall, and you know, puts it in another position. But now you've got guys in Drew Holiday, Dante DiVincenzo uh, did this before he was injured really well. But when they would occupy the dunker, you hit them with a pass if their guy turns his head or helps. Instead of them attacking the basket from the dunker, they're kicking it out to open shooters. Now you got the defense rotating, you know, more shifting going on, right. more defensive guys out. Of, so it just changes the geometric kind of shape of, uh, of, of the defenses that Giannis was seeing. And it's been a really, really good benefit. And the longer that this team has played at this season, the more they have learned how to play it effectively. And right now they're doing a great job of just keeping them. It might be Brent Forbes. He'll start in a dunker, penetration come to his side. His man helps. He spaces out to that corner. Boom, hit him, three-pointer, you know. And so it's really helped the shooters and big players alike uh, uh, occupying that dunker area. How does someone like Drew, who really jumped into a team that was championship capable, how has he pulled this off in a way like he's he seems to be so fluently a part of this group already? Uh, how is his relationship with Giannis and how did he how did he do that? How did he become a leader so fast in, in Milwaukee? Well, as you guys know, you know, a lot of it is timing when you when you acquire a guy, what he's been through. And so Drew has never won anything. He's bounced around from Philly to New Orleans, had all-star caliber seasons in both places, had a great playoff run against uh, Lillard in Portland, averaged 25 a game and put the clamps over there, but never won anything. And so his, and then, and then I, I would even go further to say the, 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 the health situation, health challenge they faced with his wife, Lauren, when she had some serious issues around child, you know, all that stuff puts things in perspective. So when you talk about pressure, when my wife is uh, teetering between life and death, you know, taking a three-point shot at the end of a basketball game to win or lose it, right. that pales in comparison to what I went through. So that, that so that's where he is right now. And he's always been a really, you know, just stable, uh, a respected type of, a, yeah. of an athlete uh, by his peers. And so he comes into Milwaukee just wanting to win, wanting a championship, wanting to get to that next level. But his life experiences, the vastness of him, uh, both on and off the court, I believe that puts them in, you know, they're giving away millions of dollars to different black owned business. They're doing all this great philanthropic stuff. He and Lauren, you know, yeah. all this good stuff. He's just enjoying being Drew Holiday right now. 
and he's on a team where he doesn't have to carry the load, but it's essential to have him out there contributing at both ends like he's so capable of doing. So it's almost like the perfect storm, and it's just his personality. He's got the, you know, he's the middle brother of, of, of three great athletes right. in his family. And he's just got this ability to, to, to not have to not have to be the star, not have to not, not have to attract all the attention. But he'll tell you, I'm the best defensive player in the league. He'll tell you, you know, without even without hesitation, how he feels about himself, but he doesn't have to go out there, you know what I mean, and, and wear it and yeah. make sure everybody knows it and and, and 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 be disappointed or pissed off if he doesn't get the acclaim that he thinks he deserves. He's really comfortable with who he is right now. So he fits in perfectly with his team. Man, so so Marcus, I, I wanna shift real quick. And I'm and again, the more the more I read about you, the more fascinated I, I'm about you. Everybody knows your star turn and white man can't jump, right? We all know about that one. Dude, you were in Bye Bye Birdie in high school? Like <laughs> how oh yeah, you're going way back. Oh yeah, my well, goodness. I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, play, I was Conrad Birdie and Bye Bye Birdie. I was Lil Abner, Lil Abner. Now, I've been doing this acting thing for, for a long a minute, time. Since, right? Since like se- like seventh grade. I was a theater arts major at UCLA. I did you know plays and and uh, the, the guy that actually wrote Penitentiary, Jamal Fanaka, uh, with uh, Leon Kennedy. Right. I mean, he was uh, he was a, a, a kind of contemporary mind at UCLA in the film school, and we had some projects that we did together. So yeah, I mean, I've been around doing this thing for a long time, and uh, it's funny. White man can't jump. Blue chips. Some other stuff. I did a lot. A lot of great episodic TV. Uh, L.A. Law, the Sinbad show, some great yeah. shows from that era that uh, I had some some leading uh, guest starring roles in, man. But the, but it was a lot of fun. But uh, you know, it, it, it's funny. I got to a point where um, it, it was it was either get a great broadcasting gig or continue to try and be this tall actor yeah. and find you know find a starring role for a tall actor is outside <laughs> yeah. of basketball films. It's not easy to do. Yeah, so right, right. you know the broadcasting was cool and, and I love it. It's easy. It's 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 exciting, and I'm with some great people now, great organizations. So, but the acting is like the passion. As a matter of fact, let me let me throw this out there. I've written several screenplays, and 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 so one that we're trying to get, uh, it's over at CAA, and it's getting some traction now. But it's about integrating the uh, LA Fire Department in the 1950s. This this courageous wow. group of black men called the Stentorians. Okay. Uh, we interviewed several of them when they were in their 90s. Uh, Todd Wasserman, my writing partner, and I, and, and wrote a great screenplay that getting some traction right now. But the other thing I just finished, and dear, you you'll appreciate this. I just finished writing a screenplay about the life of Reggie Hardy. Oh Reggie my God! Hardy, I'm so glad you Reggie brought that, brought him up because that's that's <laughs> the character. That's what's then White Man Can't Jump is based off right, of White Reggie Man Hardy, right? based on that character he's a guy in detroit that went to the liquor store at seven feet tall and and tried to rob it and the guy was like come on reggie i know that's you and reggie supposedly said this ain't me right that was the first story one of the first stories you you heard as a player in the set so it piqued my interest i did a voluminous amount of research on him over the last year and and in the process d i got to be friends with ray scott yeah the former coach of the year with the pistons in the mid-70s as we still keep in contact today Dave Bing, yeah, sure. uh, I mean, Oliver Darden. I mean, all these who was a teammate of Kazzy Russell's at Michigan who played with Reggie in Indiana. Uh, Rob Thorne gave me some great stories about Reggie when they were teammates in the AB, the old uh, ABA. Yeah. Uh, and, or no, actually, it was NBA, early NBA. I think it was Chicago where they, they played together. But this character, I mean, but, but Reggie Harding, not character, but this man, 
I mean, with this, this story was one of those, you know, those tragic stories. And, um, you know, anyway, but but yeah. he wound up getting shot and killed at like 30 years old right. on the streets of Detroit. The, 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 the siren of the streets was always the thing that held him back. He 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 dropped 23 and 19 on Bill Russell. He, he he called out Wilt Chamberlain from the sidelines one game like you're not the big man I'm the big man and, wow. and, and, and you know he, his his life was so colorful that uh, it had to be like uh, memorialized on on the page and I was able to put together something on him and and so anyway I'm I'm in the process now trying to trying to move that forward and see what I can do with it but but just the just the experience of learning about him and the, the heroin addiction and everything he went through man was uh, I think something that. Uh, that would be, you know, good for young people to to, to see. We don't yeah, we don't always yeah. need to have the the the, the Pollyannish kind of you know great you know inspirational stories, but those stories where we can see somebody who didn't have the positive mentorship and role models in his life, and where that could lead also. So that's yeah. that's the that's what that's about. You know, if you need a um a, a really good writer, especially somebody to bring some color to it, I think you know somebody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, uh, yourself? You're, yourself no, no, I, I, I was gonna say Josiah. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. What, what, yeah. what's, what's, what makes you most proud? His, your son's basketball career, or that he's become the funniest person on the internet? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, like he is incredible, yo. It's unbelievable. It's, every every time, I he's can't like believe the, he's, how quick he is with stuff. It's, it's unbelievable. It's how he <laughs> yeah, he cranks it out. Doesn't he? He, he he gets it out there. I uh, know. Obviously, it's. And not only so, so he created and wrote for Legends of Chamberlain Heights. They ran for two years on Comedy Central. Yeah, really good animated series, kind of ahead of its time with some of its uh, themes and 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 and, 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 and subject matter. But but he also um, Ava DuVernay, uh, when they see us, fame Central yeah. Park Five. She's doing a thing or did a thing on Colin Kaepernick that's going to be on one of the streaming stations uh, soon. And Josiah. Wrote an episode or two with her for that. Worked on that extensively. He's working with her on some other stuff that she's got going. So he's working with Ava DuVernay, and so that that's you know something a lot of people don't know, but that's that that's definitely a feather. And we've also written something together on growing up in this uh, area of Los Angeles near Baldwin Hills called yeah. View Park, and uh, it's 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 uh, based on my life loosely. But it, it's one of those situations where you guys appreciate this. We moved up to this area when I was 11 years old, 1967. I'm playing after school league football, just a, just a pickup Sandlot game. I'm playing quarterback. This is a true story. And my right end is Ray Charles Jr. And my left end is Ike Turner Jr. That's the kind of, that's the kind of people that I'm growing up with in this neighborhood. Doctors, lawyers, swimming pools, and movie stars, Beverly Hillbillies, you know, right. that, whole, that whole existence. And so we put together something on kind of, you know, the, 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 the things that are happening in this neighborhood over the years and, and gentrification and all that good stuff. And and uh, so we'll see where, where, where it goes with that. It's getting a little traction also. But Josiah, his writing, his creativity is uh, it's funny when he got when his show got canceled. That's the Chamberlain Heights after two years because of lack of promotion. Uh, he was a little despondent about that. I told him, look, man. That's not the last great creative idea you're going to have. You know, that, that, that's just the stepping stone that's going to lead to bigger and better things. And uh, so far it has. 
I was wondering, can you afford him now at this point? He writes for Ava. <laughs> no. he might not, be able to... <laughs> not at all. Trust me. He, he, lets me, he lets me know it every time I talk whenever, whenever I talk to him, too. Uh, you don't get no family discount? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. no. He's, he's great at that, though. No, we always bounce stuff off each other. And, uh, you know, he trusts me. I trust trust him. And he always, you know, he, he always pumps me up like, yeah, Dad, you're, you're like the best writer I know. I'm like, yeah, okay, thanks. Just just stay at it. Stay with it, man. Don't keep it. You know, just be confident. Stay with it. Don't don't lose confidence in what you're doing. So he's, he's great in terms of just pumping me up, man. So I love him to death. Man, I, so so along those lines, man, and I, want, I, I can't keep you forever. I'd love to, but I know you got stuff to do. Um, the, the, the whole process of writing, and, and this is something that I'm fascinated about because you were in the public eye for 30 years, right? 35 years, um, you know, back from the days at UCLA long, yeah. with, with John Wooden, winning the national last national championship team that John Wooden won um, through, your, through your playing career, through your acting career. And I'm always curious how people who have been in the public eye, who have been interviewed, then turn around or are able to kind of be creative themselves because there's always this kind of, feeling from a lot of people when you talk to them you didn't get you you misquoted me or not even that you misquoted me but you got the tone wrong you got the you got the sense of what I was trying to say wrong and I just wonder what it's like when you're trying to be that creative person and come up with you know a, a dialogue and stories and things like that from the creative side as opposed to kind of the the day-to-day journalistic side that you were a part of that you've been a part of most of your adult life well, and that's a great question, Dick. And I think because of that, it gives a person like myself a, a real, uh, I guess, a, a sensibility and, and, and a sensitiveness to making sure that I that I pay due respect to whatever subject matter that I'm approaching. You know what I'm saying? So, so I don't want to. I mean, I want to tell you got to tell the truth. You can't sugarcoat some of the stuff that 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 like a guy like a Reggie Harding and the heroin abuse and all that. Right. There's always there's always the backstory. So Reggie Harding, um, his mom had him when she was 16. She 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 gave him to a foster family in Detroit, and and some of the treatment that he got through that foster care wasn't the best. And he was sent to a cherry picking farm after winning the city championship when he was 17 for a whole summer because of some of his you know. So you look at some of the backstories. With people like that, and you and you try and explain as much as explain, but not excuse uh, whatever right. uh, paths or behaviors they may have taken in life, and that's to me is the interesting part when you when you get the full picture of what a guy's life has been about, and so that's what I've learned from that experience. Da is just if, as long as writers are fair and and make an make an attempt to find out the whole story and don't try and put their own particular professional spin on it. A lot of guys, as you know, that, 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 that interview, they've already got the story made up in their mind that they right. want to write. So they're, they're, they asked you stuff specifically to that point. And, um, prove which is my fine. Thesis. I mean, they, yeah, prove my yeah, thesis well, David, you're, you. you're, yeah. one of, you're one of the best at, I, you know, in some of our interviews, uh, on zoom, when you're talking to Budenholz or whomever, Giannis, whomever it happens to be, then I read your piece in the athletic or wherever it happens to be. I understand, you, you know, what your process was about, but 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 you're just kind of filling in some of the blanks. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. A, a lot of guys want to have this narrative. A lot of writers want to have this particular narrative about how they want a story to go. And um, and if things happen to go a different direction than what they had planned, they'll just ignore that different direction and continue on with the, whatever particular narrative path that they had established at the beginning. 
So it sounds like you're saying that I can send you my work for some, uh, you know, <laughs> on spec. You put- send it to him on spec, Mark. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, but I, I may have to sprinkle a little mama's home cooking on it. Oh, you know, Lord. So- <laughs> oh, Lord. Sure. I got to think about Sacramento and Mad Bars. I live in the choir, but Columbia Brown, you know, I just have my mind works, man. So, yeah, that's how we do it. Mama's cooking, baby. Mama's cooking. Man, we could do a whole, we could do a whole last dance type of thing on, on, on Kwame, man. I mean, I, th- yeah, I actually think Kwame, get- I actually think Kwame's made some good points in some of this. You know, <laughs> so- he made some great. This brother here has made some great points. Trust me. Some of it's a little out of left field, but but I mean, he's. Uh, what's What's interesting is that that I never really heard him articulate any of his inner feelings about yeah. anything ever. Yeah. And then to hear him actually And then it's speak. like a flood, right? right. <laughs> it's like a tidal wave of feelings. But it's like DA says, a lot of it, you know, I mean, he talks about kind of the one and dones and how they yeah. were trying to put put a put a lid on that so they had to not, you know, give a lot of the guys. Kwame scored 17 and 7, I believe, in the McDonald's game. Yeah. That included, I think, Tyson Chandler, Eddie, Eddie sure. or whoever it was in that game. He was the best player in that game. It wasn't like Drafting him number one was this big reach. Yeah. He was the best player in that game. Now you can you can you know debate his career from that point on all you want, positives and negatives. Yeah. But in that game, he was the best player and had me thinking he was going to turn out to be one hell of a pro. So for whatever reason, maybe it didn't happen. But you know you can't fault MJ or whomever for looking at that game and thinking that this guy was going to be really really good. Yeah. No, I mean look. Kwame, uh, first of all, Kwame had a career. You know what I'm saying? Like you, get yeah, to, right, you can debate right. the career, but he had one at least, which is more than a lot of guys, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, there's no doubt. And even when he was with Washington, I remember very well his second year, they played at the, uh, the Bulls, I'm pretty sure, and he gave Tyson the business in that game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, it yeah. wasn't – it just – for whatever – you know, there's a lot of reasons. I don't think it was all – MJ's fault. I don't think it was all Kwame's fault. It was just, you know, bad timing, circumstance. Um, right. You know, it just didn't work out in Washington. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just didn't work out in Washington. But I remember distinctly people in the in the organization telling me before the draft that they really – one thing that really impressed them about Kwame was – I remember someone telling me this. Like, he would – after the varsity game, he played at Glenn Academy, I think, in, in Georgia. He would go watch mm-hmm. the women's team play or go watch the JV team play and be their biggest cheer, biggest advocate, you know. Mm. So he wasn't acting like a star that wasn't interested in anybody else. Like he really right. cared about other the other people that played at that school and they, how impressed they were with that, you know, like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean. And and you know what? And the bottom line is, people have been dumping on this guy for twenty years. It's time. It's, he's entitled to 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 clap back. That's what I've been yeah. telling people. You know what I mean? He's entitled to yeah. clap back. You know, it's it's okay. You know, he's entitled yeah. to say this. This is what I think, and you know, whatever. You know, he, and right. Like I said, he's made some decent points. So, yeah, no, anyway, I agree. agree. Anyway, man, look. Marcus, this has been great. I swear to God, <laughs> this has been fantastic. Oh yeah, incredible. Um, you know, but, but hold on before yeah, before ahead. you go, yeah. I, I, I saw you dunked on your birthday. Yes. How, what was the what was the recovery <laughs> after that? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was uh, it wasn't as bad as one might think in '65. But Josiah is the one that got me doing that ten years ago uh, when Blake Griffin jumped over the Kia, whatever it was. But 
it's funny. He was on his way over to shoot the dunk. And I, so I went in the backyard to try and do it. And the first three or four times, I, I could barely get the ball to touch the rim. And, and, and finally, by the time he got here, I got a little warmed up. And you know what I mean? I didn't know if I could do it. And I found up, finally wound up doing it a couple of times. And it was cool. But I'm just doing it, man, just, you know, for no other reason than to, than to, to, to give me an impetus to stay in shape during the during the, the, the year between the dunks that I do on my birthday and uh, just to see how long it lasts. And when it's over, it'll be over and I won't be no love lost. You know what I mean? It'd be all good <laughs> to, to, that it lasted as long as it did. So, yeah. Man. Well, look, man. It's, it's dope. I love it. Yeah. Continued success, man. Um, you know, we'd love to have you on again and again, man. This is this has been great. And just, you know, I love learning and, and you're a great teacher. So, man, thank you for joining us. Seriously. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. All right, guys. Great. Thank you. It is. Appreciate great. you. Have a good thank one. you, man. So, yeah, Mark, I tell you what, man, I, I love, you know, his, his uh, Twitter account handle is uh, Elder old School, baby. Elder Old School and Elder Marcus Thompson. And that's I love listening to the elders, you know, <laughs> who have been been through it and done it well and done it at a high level. And um, we can learn from them if we stop and listen. So, man, that was that was awesome. That was awesome. Oh yeah, he's and you know he you know he, he's built from us. You know, what I'm saying yeah. this is that Cali bread. You know, yeah. this is how we do. Da, <laughs> so, hey, DC's got an incredible hoop legacy. The dare I say, slept on hoop legacy. Well, right? not, not not by us. <laughs> not by no, but I, I do think you know you hear a lot about New York and LA. I mean, people sleep on DC though. Yeah, really well, talk like you know, people sleep it's, on, it's, but it's, we still we still got one too out here in Cali. You know, we got some hoopers. You got a few. You got a few. So. <laughs> we got a few. I'm claiming them LA ones. You know, from yeah, Cali, no, you but. can't claim the LA ones. You got to just stick I, with, I the, just stick with the Bay. The Bay is good know, enough. We Cali, man. Come on, man. You can Cali. stick with Cali. I'm, stick I'm with claiming Oakland, all that. Now, now, when we beefing with LA, then I'll just go <laughs> Oakland. I'm like, then it's, but then it's got to be like per capita. Or right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> we got to switch it up because oh. it ain't fair. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! With all the people down there. All right, y'all. Well, look, listen. Leave that five star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you hear this show, man. And uh, if you leave something less than a five star review, keep that to yourself. All right.